special dedication to the most wonderful human being under the age of 53, Sidney Davis. So, Stevie, it's time to take this to a higher ground. Time to take a quick break and let your mind marinate to the sports talk program full of interesting discussion and debate. As I relate and share my thoughts and opinions about the weekend of college football and the National Football League to intrigue your listening ears and mind as I intertwine the wonderful and happy to eliminate the crappy soaring and scoring on the mic like I was Killian Mbappe. So when I begin my podcast, I'll be quite snappy so I can be the favorite of your mama, sister, stepdaddy, and your pappy gladly. Catching the platitudes with the latitude that have the attitude of being brash or smug, my show being more powerful and addictive than any drug, you will be filled with incongruity if you ever thought about schooling me or fooling me into thinking about moving me from my number one spot, please stop in that desire and just admire the sports talk program that slams and can set any other podcast on fire. Burning it down like I was Seth Rollins, you'll be falling into another region and begin to start seething and wheezing when the only thing you'll be seeing is yours truly talking into the mic, giving the sports talk listeners what they like. A compelling discussion of the everyday in sports that comes with a unique twist you don't want and miss the perspective with my personal directive of having knowledge rain down like a blizzard, dropping dime like I'm the Damien of Lillard. So if your claim to fame is to try to shame and tame the most entertaining sports talk podcast going and growing with lame profane takes, I'll have to take you to task and then scissor the acclaim along with that ass. Wendell's World in Sports follow, download, subscribe, rate, review, and enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can ever listen to. Sports fans of all ages, faces, and places from every stadium, arena, and auditorium all over the world. May I have your attention, please? Well, time's coming when we're going to have to handy up. Handy up and kick in like men. Like men! It is now time to bring to your listening ears, hearts, and minds a sports podcast named Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Tell him how you feel. A podcast that gives you strong, passionate, unapologetic, uncompromised thoughts and opinions about the everyday happenings in the NFL. Mahomes looking to flip, takes it in for the touchdown. And college football to the NBA in my Georgetown Hoyas. Giannis fires one down and an exclamation point for Milwaukee. To any other sporting news of the day. And now, introducing the man whose love of sports was born and bred on the greatest Muhammad Ali, Lim Bias, Magic Johnson, Bernard King, and Eric Dickerson, Wendell Wallace. Tall and tan and long and lovely, the girl from Ipanipa, she's walking in. When she passes by, I hear the fellas go, welcome to Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. Good morning, good abend, bonjour, bonsoir, que pasa, shalom, wassalam alaikum, konnichiwa, all that good stuff. Anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcast, iHeart, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, do me a favor, if you would please, listen to my program, Wendell's World in Sports, W-E-N-D-E-L-L-S, World in Sports. Download, subscribe, rate, review, most importantly, enjoy the most 
unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to. If you could do that, that would be absolutely fantastic. Okay, I'm, I'm going to get right into it because I remember on all my other podcasts leading up to this one, when the discussion came up, I said, I'm not going to get into it. I'm not going to discuss it. I'm not going to bloviate. I'm not going to break it down. I'm not going to get into the scrum. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to get into the Aaron Rodgers talk, going to the New York Jets. When is he going to be going to the New York Jets? What happens when he goes to the um, New York Jets? What are the New York Jets' chances now that Aaron Rodgers is the uh, Green Bay is um, leaving Green Bay to go to the Jets? All of the speculation. I wasn't going to get into it until it finally went down. Well, guess what? On Monday, as I'm recording this on a Tuesday uh, mid-afternoon, guess what? The news finally went down. Aaron Rodgers is now going to be a New York Jets. The Aaron Rodgers era in Green Bay is now over. Now, what sources told ESPN's Adam Schefter is that the Packers, Green Bay Packers, agreed on Monday to deal quarterback Aaron Rodgers and their 2023 first-round pick, which is a number 15 pick in the draft, and a 2023 fifth-round pick, which is number 170, to the Jets for New York's 2023 first-round pick, which is number 13, a 2023 second-round pick, which is number 42, a 2023 sixth-round pick, which is number 207, and a conditional 2024 second-round pick that becomes a first-round pick if Rodgers plays 65% of the plays this season. Write this down because there's going to be a pop quiz going coming up later. Um, so now we can kind of speculate. There weren't any players that were involved. Rodgers now becomes a New York Jets. I guess you can say that the Green Bay Packers have officially started over with Jordan Love going to be the quarterback for the uh, Packers. Going to wait and see exactly what kind of quarterback that they have in Jordan Love. And I think now was the right time. I think now was the correct time for both parties, the Packers and Anna Rodgers to go their separate ways. Yes, I know that it's romantic. Yes, I know that it's awesome. Yes, I know that it's old school. Yes, I know those under 60s, under over uh, 60 years old are just clamoring and just saying how wonderful it is that uh, a, a, a superstar or a franchise player can play their entire career in one spot. And of course, it varies from sport to sport. It varies from team to team. It varies from one situation to one situation. This is something that's not new. This is something that really shouldn't be discussed in terms of goodness gracious. I cannot believe that Aaron Rodgers is moving on to another. He was identified with the Packers so long that this is terrible. This is horrible. Let me tell you something, man. If Joe Montana can play for the Kansas City football team, if uh, Emmett Smith can play for the uh, Arizona Cardinals, if Johnny Uniteds can play for the San Diego Chargers, then San Diego Chargers. If Jerry Rice can play for the Denver Broncos, if Willie Mays can play for the New York Mets, uh, then any of this stuff in concerning Aaron Rodgers can take place. If Tom Brady can play for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, then yes, Aaron Rodgers moving on near the end of his career is happening and really shouldn't be up for debate in terms of what happened to the days of Cal Ripken and what happened to the days of Kobe Bryant and what happened to the days of Dirk Nowitzki or what happened to the days of whatever, man. Come on, man. It's, the, it's, it's 2023. What's going to be complaining next? That college 
college athletes shouldn't be able to get NIL deals or transfer wherever they want to because what happened to the good old days of the young men learning about uh, trials and tribulation and fighting through and all this kind of bullshit and nonsense? Come on, man. New day, new era, world's moving on. Why don't you try to move on with it? I'm not at the get-off-my-lawn point of my life yet where it comes to that. So basically, Aaron Rodgers moving on, the Green Bay Packers moving on, good for both teams, good for both uh, the Jets and the... Packers, good for Aaron Rodgers, good for Jordan Love. It's a lot of really good things. I don't see too many downsides. You know, when we always speak about, well, who won this trade between either um, the Packers or the Jets? Who won? It's a win for both teams. (laughs) It really is because both needed to get done. Number one, now I know there's reports saying that Aaron Rodgers is going to um, restructure his contract because I think he's owed like $120 million or some nonsense like that over the next two years. So we'll see if they stretch that out to uh, four or five years with the, uh, you know, with the reasonable thought that if we can get three years out of Rodgers. If you're the New York Jets, if you're the New York Jets fan, let, let, let's stick on that for a second, man. Because let me ask you, let me ask you a question. If you're a New York Jets fan, how, how many years are we expecting Aaron Rodgers to do Aaron Rodgers type things, the the, the anticipation, the, the the glee, the giddiness, the when you heard the news, I just ran outside my door and started dancing up and down the street like I was Martha and the Vandellas. When I heard the news, I jumped up and started dancing on the ceiling like I was Lionel Richie. What what was the reason? What was the intent? What was your mindset to say, Hallelujah, we got Aaron Rodgers. I am I am ecstatic. A, what do you expect now out of the New York Jets? B, what did you expect out of Aaron Rodgers? C, what are your realistic, uh, what are your real, what, what's your goals realistically? Because it's a situation where, okay, Aaron Rodgers gives us the opportunity for the New York Jets to do what? To win the division? To win the conference? To win the championship? Now let's kind of just start with the conference. You're still going to have the Buffalo Bills. You're still going to have Bill Belichick, even though with a quarterback that has not proven that he can be a quarterback that can do great things in Mac Jones. And when I say great things, I say uh, speaking about the New England Patriots being real threats in the AFC at the quarterback position. You have the Miami Dolphins, who have a plethora of talent. I mean, Tyreek Hill, Waddle, those guys. I mean, the, the, um, the offense is there. But again, we have a quarterback in Tua who was speaking about retiring because of the fear of the concussion that he's taking. How brittle, how bruised, how vulnerable is Tua? So you, you have all, all of these questions swirling around the, swirling around the AFC East. And then you take a look at the New York Jets and you say, my goodness gracious, at one point last uh, season, we were six and three. The defense is top five. We have Leonard Williams at the tackle position. We have Sauce Gardner at the cornerback position. We have Robert Sala, a very good defensive coordinator, uh, as far as uh, uh, the way he got the job at the New York Jets coach is being one of the better defensive minds when he was with the San Francisco 49ers, translating that over to the New York Jets to make them a top five defense. So the defense is there. And then, you know, we have the running game when Bryce Hall returned from the ACL injury. And we have now some receivers to go to. Yes, the offensive line might need a little fixing. It might need a little improvement. But from the outside looking in, as we take a look of this right now, not even the end of April, now we say to ourselves, my goodness, now we have the quarterback. 
Now we have not just a quarterback. We have one of the best quarterbacks of our generation and one of the best quarterbacks who's ever played the game, who is two years removed from winning the MVP of the league for the second straight year. So my goodness gracious, you put Aaron Rodgers into that mix. What did that say now about the realistic chances? Because I know now after saying all that, the... The, the the expectations for some should be, man, these motherfuckers got to win the Super Bowl, man. I mean, these guys have to be ready to win the Super Bowl. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't know, man, because we are taking a look at a guy in Aaron Rodgers, 39 years old. And, and yes, the accomplishments are there. And yes, the recency of the accomplishments are there. I mean, we, we've seen Aaron Rodgers even... Last uh, season, arguably having one of his worst, if not his worst season of his NFL career, be miles and miles and miles much better than anything that Mike White or Zach Wilson could put together next season. So it's almost like a situation where even if you you are the delusion that the reason why Aaron Rodgers fell off like he did from the year that he won the MVP to uh, last season. You can you can blame the Green Bay Packers. You can blame the discontent. And you can blame the dysfunction. And you can blame the lack of uh, offensive weapons that he had. And you can blame the fact that he had one foot out the door. And he probably had one foot out the door the moment that the Packers decided to draft uh, Jordan Love and not really uh, run that by him. You, you can say that he was moving toward the door to say bye-bye when he saw what was going on in Tampa Bay and the way that the uh, Buccaneers organization treated Tom Brady when they signed him and how they bent over backwards to give him everything humanly possible as far as offensive skill positions are concerned and back and bend it and, you know, bent over at Brady's whims to ask Brady to do what Brady wanted to do, to do Brady's bidding. And then you have here Aaron Rodgers sitting up here in Green Bay talking about, damn, y'all really can't draft me a receiver? Damn, you're going to do all this for Brady and you're going to then draft a quarterback to replace me? Yeah, I'm going to be out the door. First, I'm going to win a couple of MVPs and then then I'm going to go out the door. So all that being said, is that the Aaron Rodgers that the New York Jets are getting? Are the New York Jets getting that Aaron Rodgers? The one who has something to prove. Is Aaron Rodgers for the New York Jets going to do the same thing that Tom Brady did for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which is come over and win themselves a championship. Because, again, when you look at the totality of that team, all the places are there on paper. The defense, the uh, wide receivers, the um, the, the defensive-minded coach, all of those things are there. So does that make Aaron Rodgers and the New York Jets? And what realistically should be the expectation? What should be the window for the New York Jets to do some things? As far as competing for championships, truly competing for championships, what should be the expectation? What should be the window at a guy who next season is going to be 40 years old playing in this league? You can take a look and say that, hey, you know, Tom Brady was still the man. Tom Brady still had a heavy responsibility of the offense when he was 44, 45. Last time I checked, and I don't know that um, Aaron Rodgers is not into the TB12. Um, last time I checked, I don't know about in terms of Bryce Hall coming back from this ACL, how much responsibility that the um, – Jets are going to put on the shoulders of Aaron Rodgers. I don't know. And is Aaron Rodgers truly ready to handle that type of pressure? Is Aaron Rodgers truly ready to handle that type of responsibility 
uh, for the New York Jets. When you talk about how starving, how famished, how hungry that the New York Jets are that have a quarterback who can do some things. I mean, let's put it this way, man. With the acquisition of Aaron Rodgers, I mean, you could easily say that, yeah, this is the biggest quarterback acquisition or this is the best quarterback playing for the New York Jets since let's go past Chad Pennington, let's go past Ken O'Brien since damn Joe Joe Willie Namath, right? I mean, you take a look at the Jets and the first-round picks that they've used on quarterback since Namath, and just speaking about drafting Richard Todd in 1976, Ken O'Brien, first-round pick in 1990, uh, 1983, over Dan Marino. Chad Pennington in 2000 over Mar- Alan Marshall, Mark Sanchez out of the USC in 2009, Sam Darnold in 2018, and Zach Wilson in 2021. Remember Zach Wilson? That guy who had <clears throat> Patrick Mahomes-type qualities? <laughs> Remember that guy? He's already done. He's already finished in terms of being the future for the New York Jets. So I, I can understand the excitement. I can understand the fever, the fervor of this move by the New York Jets to get themselves Aaron Rodgers. But again, I'm I'm just interested interested to see exactly what does this mean? What does this entail? Because when you make a move like this, you're saying that the future is now. You're speaking about a situation that we are going all in and we are going all in now. Now, it's not as prevalent is it's not as 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 evident or as bold shall we say as the los angeles rams when they went out and got themselves matthew stafford and jalen ramsey and vaughn miller and um obj and all of these other guys to uh go ahead and win themselves that championship but what really saved them as far as the rams rams are concerned with this legacy that they now go back into a rebuilding mode is that they did win a championship is that with Matthew Stafford and all those guys that I just mentioned, they did win themselves a championship. With all the draft picks and with all the other things that they gave up to win, to get themselves in a win-now position, guess what? They did win. They did win that championship. And that window of opportunity doing so is not open very long. So if you're the New York Jets, or would you be would you be happy if if I said, okay, Aaron Rodgers, realistically, realistically, is going to give you guys a three-year window to win a championship. What are the expectations? Do you expect one this year? Do the chances get better each year that he plays? I mean, because in terms of if he stays the course, in terms of if he doesn't fall off a cliff, let's just say, for instance, that what we received, what we got from Aaron Rodgers last year, he's going to play a little bit better than he did last season. And then for the next two years or so, he's going to be somewhere around the level that he played at last uh, season. Is that going to be good enough for the New York Jets to win a Super Bowl? When you're going to be stacking up that wide receiver position with Garrett Wilson and Alan Lazard and uh, Corey Davis, I mentioned before with that uh, defense, with the running game. But is that going to be enough? Are New York Jets fans going to be satisfied, for instance, if the Jets with Aaron Rodgers, say, for instance, makes it to the championship game, the AFC championship game, and then two playoff losses? Is that going to be copacetic? Now, I, I understand fans are probably saying, no, my expectations are always to win the flipping Super Bowl, right? But I'm speaking about realistic expectations for the New York Jets because we just don't 
know what Aaron Rodgers is going to bring. Yes, um, he's going to be better than what they had last season. But is that good enough in a conference which is stacked, not only with really, really good teams, but also with really, really great quarterbacks? This ain't the NFC anymore. Aaron Rodgers is now leaving the NFC. And you take a look at the NFC and you take a look at the best quarterbacks in the NFC and you bring them over now and you bring him over now to what's happening in the AFC where you have potential, where you have just a who's who of just great, great, great NFL quarterbacks. Rodgers is not going to have that advantage anymore. Rodgers is not going to be on that pedestal anymore. Because guess what? To get to the NFL Super Bowl, to get through to the NFL Super Bowl, he's going to have to go through Patrick Mahomes. He's going to have to go through Josh Allen. He's going to have to go through Joe Burrow. He's going to have to go through Justin Herbert. He's going to have to go through all the... You just take a look at all of the quarterbacks. You just take a look at all of the really high-end franchise quarterbacks that's in the AFC. And you take a look and you, and you see these quarterbacks out there and you say, okay... Man, how in the world is Aaron Rodgers going to be doing any of these things? Man, how is Aaron Rodgers going to get on down and, and do what he's doing when now that he's in an AFC, now that he's in a conference where you're going to be having um, to go up against Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Trevor Lawrence, Josh Allen, Deshaun Watson, possibly Lamar Jackson, however that plays out. Man, that's a lot of quarterbacks, man. That's a lot of gunslingers. That's a lot of talent, and that's a lot of obstacles that him and the Jets need to overcome. So it, it, it's going to be it's going to be it's going to be interesting. And a guy in Aaron Rodgers who had the worst season of his career last uh, season, throwing for uh, twenty six touchdowns with twelve interceptions, threw for thirty six hundred, almost thirty seven hundred yards. His passing yards were the fewest in a season in which he started at least 15 games. His 26 passing touchdowns were the second fewest in a season with at least 15 starts. He had 25 in 2018. He was picked off again 12 times, 12 interceptions. That was the second most in the single season and one fewer than he had in the previous three years combined. So it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting moving forward. Yeah, he's got Garrett Wilson. Yeah, he's got Alan Lazard. Yeah, he's got Corey Davis. But man, I tell you what, man, it is going to be tough. So it's going to be interesting, the expectations. Do I expect the New York Jets all of a sudden now to be better than the Buffalo Bills, to be better than the Cincinnati Bengals? Depends on what Joe Burrow's contract is all about. But do you, what, what, what do you expect from the New York Jets? AFC Championship game? AFC playoffs, AFC contenders. We 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 know, Lord have mercy, they got to do better than what they did last season. That that's just a, that's just you know that's just a given. But still, for for those Jet fans who just think that, oh my goodness, we got Aaron Rodgers and everything is going to be great, you, you you're not getting 2009 Aaron Rodgers. You're not getting 2011 Aaron Rodgers. Hell, you might not even be getting 2021 Aaron Rodgers. So we will see what happens.
We will see what happens. But see, now we can go ahead and we can talk about this stuff. Now we can go ahead and talk about how quickly can he gel with um, Garrett Wilson? How quickly is he going to acclimate himself to? I, I don't know this stuff about the New York media and be, uh, compared to the Green Bay media. I mean, I, I, I don't know in terms of, you know, how differently he's going to be treated or how much rougher that he's going to be treated. If he goes out and does his thing, if he goes out and plays like he did when he won MVPs and what the quarterback back that's going to be headed toward the NFL's Hall of Fame when he's done if, if he can play near that level it doesn't really matter what the New York media is going to be talking about if anything if he plays that way and the Jets aren't doing well the blame will probably go to the head coach so he can shield himself he can present he can prevent all of that nonsense if Aaron Rodgers plays well but I still again even with Rodgers even on paper with the improvement even with all the advantages, all the pluses that the New York Jets have in terms of their team, in terms of their defense, in terms of their wide receivers, in terms of what they did last uh, season. I still say when everything is all said and done, are you going to be able to get past the Kansas City football team? The defending champions? Are you going to be able to get past the Cincinnati Bengals who are just uh, next aligned, next uh, to... Uh, hold up that uh, Vince Lombardi from the AFC? Are you ready? Are the Jets ready to dethrone the Buffalo Bills? If, if they come in, if the Jets come in, and let's say they do what Tom Brady and Tampa Bay, if the Jets come in and all of a sudden they win the uh, Super Bowl next season, or they get to the Super Bowl for the, they represent the AFC, man, that's going to mean a lot of things to a lot of teams, man, in terms of where are you going? What's going to be happening? I mean, if the New York Jets are the ones representing the AFC and the championship, what does that mean for the Buffalo Bills? What does that mean for Sean McDermott? What does that mean for that team? What does it mean for the contracts of T. Higgins and Jamar Chase if Cincinnati can't get over the hump? I know that they're going to be keeping uh, Joe Burrow, but what does it mean for that team if all of a sudden the New York Jets, just because of an acquisition of a 40-year-old quarterback, albeit a very good one, all of a sudden is going to catapult those guys, and now they're going to be the ones that's going to be representing the um, AFC in the Super Bowl. And even if you are a team like the Buffalo Bills, even if you are a team like the Cincinnati Bengals, even if you are a team like the Kansas City football team, even if you are a team like the possibly Miami Dolphins, even if you are a team like possibly the Los Angeles Chargers, even if you are a team like that, and you do all of a sudden become second fiddle to Aaron Rodgers and the New York Jets, do you wait the course to say, look, man, this is Aaron Rodgers who is 40 years old. Now, of course, it depends on how well or Aaron Rodgers plays, but if he's a guy that's just going to be really good or just good, do you wait it out to say, okay, we, we know one thing. We know one thing with athletes, that when they hit the wall, they hit the wall hard. When they fall off the cliff, it is long and is swift, and hitting that ground is painful. They go from one level to two or three levels below real fast. So even if the New York Jets do win the Super Bowl, even if they do win the conference championship, even if they are all of a sudden contenders for real. Do you just say, okay, let's just wait this out because Rodgers after this season is going to have maybe one or two more years left and then he'll be 42, 43 years old and then it'll be the end of that run. 
And meanwhile, we have a young Josh Allen. We can build around that core. We have a young Joe Burrow. And if we can just go ahead, he took him, he, he, he took a sweetheart deal. He took a, a haircut in terms of how much money he could make. He wasn't looking for Jalen Hurts type money. He wasn't looking for, um, Justin Herbert type money. He wasn't looking for Patrick Mahomes type money. You know what? He settled on five or six years at $47, $48 million so we could go ahead and re-sign Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and such. So we we can keep the course because we have a core here that's going to be that's going to be uh, competing for Super Bowls for possibly maybe the next five or six years. The Jets are going to be doing it for maybe one or two. And I understand what the Jets I understand the passion. I understand the fact that, good Lord have mercy, how long have we been trying to find ourselves a quarterback to compete? In fact, outside of the Bill Parcells years, how quickly, and Bill Parcells lasted, what, one or two years with the Jets to get them to the uh, AFC Championship game? Rex Ryan uh, got some success with them his first couple of years with the Jets. Uh, I believe getting them uh, past New England one year, and I believe getting them to the AFC Championship I could be wrong, but he had some success there. But for, for the most part, there's been more rich co-tights than there have been Bill Parcells in terms of coaching, coaching and ability for the New York Jets to do something, to be something, to have, to be respectful, to be respectful as a team that's going to do something in the NFL. So how long can this happen? How long can this last for Aaron Rodgers and the New York Jets? We're going to find out, baby bubble. <laughs> we are definitely going to find out. And again, for the, um, hey man, for the uh, Green Bay Packers, again, it's a time to rebuild. It's a time to see what you've got in Jordan Love. Can he be the uh, quarterback moving forward? You know, he's going to be the starting quarterback. He spent the last, most of the first three seasons on the bench. Um, his fifth year option is coming this spring. And when you speak about Rodgers being owed again almost $60 million before the 2023 season and then $108 million over the next two years, yeah, it was time It was time to uh, move on. So a win-win situation for the Jets and the Packers. Everything worked out great. Now, again, I'm not going to be going into the speculation game all the time because we know with the NFL draft and the NFL draft is going to be another example because with the Jets, with the, uh, th- what, what, what are they going to have now? The uh, 15th pick from the uh, Packers? Do they go ahead now and draft themselves a wide receiver? Do they draft themselves an offensive lineman? Because you know, either way, is going to somehow, some way get back to, ooh, what does that mean for Aaron Rodgers? If the, if the New York Jets go ahead and draft themselves an offensive lineman, well, at least unlike in Green Bay when uh, Rodgers was the, the main guy where all they did was draft defensive players, but, I mean, it's going to be a situation that's going to be a talking point, right? I mean, isn't that going to be a talking point? Hey, man, I can't believe that the New York Jets drafted an offensive lineman instead of a um, wide receiver for Aaron Rodgers. Are they doing the Green Bay all over again with this guy? Are they trying to put too much into his plate? What does that mean for Aaron Rodgers? Is he going to become discontent? Is he going to uh, Is he going to go on the Pat McAfee show and start uh, talking about bad-mouthing the uh, New York Jets and start making these cryptic type of comments about, well, I'll play here and just do myself a Brett Favre after one year with the Jets and say adios amigos. I mean, what's going to be happening? So every single move that the Jets make, every single move that the Jets take, everything we will be watching. I won't be, 
But those on the Mike Greenberg show, those on the early mornings, those on the uh, TV talk shows, oh man, it's going to be about what's going to be going on with the Jets. Hey, let me tell you something. OTAs were today. What's going to be the talking point? What's going to be the conversation? What's going to be the topic of discussion? OTAs, whether Aaron Rodgers shows up or not, is going to be made of a big deal. If he doesn't show up for OTAs, ooh, what does that mean? What does that mean? Is he did all, and if he does show up for OTAs, ooh, what does that mean? He's already brought in. What do you think now? What, what, do, you, what do you think now the season for the Jets are going to be? All of the nonsense. If he doesn't show up, oh my goodness, are we starting to build the foundation of a team that's going to be one of the biggest disappointments of the year and not uh, reach expectation? And if he does show up, are we going to be like, hallelujah, he's going to be Tom Brady with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in his first year all over again. It's it's, it's going to be interesting, man, the way they, way they uh, get that bullshit together. Monday on the show, Aaron Rodgers shows up for OTAs. What does it mean for the New York Jets? Tuesday on the show, Aaron Rodgers still at OTAs. What does it mean for the AFC? Wednesday, Aaron Rodgers showing up at OTA. Does this mean that he'll have a better season than he did last season? Thursday, Aaron Rodgers still LATAs. How is he performing? Is this a prelude to what's going to be happening with the Jets on offense this season? Friday, end of OTAs. Aaron Rodgers is gone, but based on what he did in OTAs, what do you think? Are, what do you think the chances are now of the Jets winning the Super Bowl? It's like, oh my god! It's like, oh my goodness! Oh my goodness gracious! Oh, all <laughs> that good stuff. You, you you see how you can kind of shuffle that bullshit around from Monday through Friday. Aaron Rodgers was seen in Calabascus over the over the um over the offseason. He hasn't made his home in he hasn't gotten a place in New Jersey yet. Does that mean he's brought in fully to the New York Jets? The fact that he still has a home and he's still hanging out in July in Calabascus, does that mean that he's only going to be staying one year for the Packers I mean for the uh, Jets? What does it mean? Does it mean that he's fully bought in? Like, oh my goodness. What did the me what did the New York media uh, think about this? Like, oh my goodness gracious. So anything and everything with Aaron Rodgers and the New York Jets, you can take bullshit and turn it into I don't know, I don't know, just whatever, a talking point. So it's interesting, man. So you know what? I got that out of my system. We talked about Aaron Rodgers. We talked about him going to the New York Jets. It's now official. It's good. It's gonna make all the New York Jets fans so happy that they're gonna jump around jump around, jump up, jump up, and then they'll get on down. I came to get down, I came to get down, so get out your seat and jump around, jump around, jump up and get down, jump around, jump around, jump up, jump up and get down, jump, jump, listen to the sound that pounds, I jump around, I'm no clown, I get down to the funk, listen to the wig out and step to the rear, dear, cause I'm here. The P to the E to the T-E rockin' The runs in your stockin' So hun, put the lockin' Chillin' with the house of pain Blood stains the ground Huh, I jump around I'm the cream of the crop I rise to the top I never eat a pig Cause a pig is a cop But better yet, a Terminator Like Arnold Schwarzenegger Tryin' to play me out like As if my name was Sega But I ain't going out like no punk bitch Get used to one style A-O When I might switch it up Up and around Then buck, buck, get down Put out your head And then you wake up In the dawn of the dead I'm coming to get ya, I'm coming to get ya Spitting out lyrics, homie, I'll wet ya I came to get down, I came to get down So get out your seat and jump around Jump around Jump up and get down Jump around
Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad you can be with us. Jump up, jump up, and get down. Listen to the sound that pounds and jump around. Now no clown getting down to the phone. Listen to the way that I rear there, because I'm here. The P to the E to the T-E rocking. The Huns just talking, so Hun put the lock in. Chilling with the house of pain, bloodstains of brown. I jump around. Pete Rock, the greatest of them all when it comes to when it comes to the uh, remix. No, 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 no. Not P. Diddy. But we're speaking about Pete Rock, and we're speaking about, uh, we're speaking about Pete Rock and Pete Rock only. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Ooh, interesting now. Interesting. Trey Young is uh, bringing the Atlanta Hawks back 111 all on a 15-2 run over the last 320 against the Boston Celtics. One thing, and now I'm gonna, I want to get into the NFL draft, but there's one thing that I just want to get off my mind right now because you never know when it might uh, leave and never come back. Um, man, you know, the Boston Celtics, it's, it's like, as I mentioned before, three-point shooting, three-point shooting, three-point shooting. It's like, man, do they have something else to go to besides three-point shooting? Because when they start missing three-point shots, all they want to do is shoot more three-point shots or at least have Jalen Brown go to the basket. If their offense diversified enough for them to win a championship because as much as you can blow out an opponent, and we saw this with the Houston Rockets when they had James Harden doing the thing with Mike uh, D'Antoni, where it was like, look, we're going to live and die by the quick, three-point shot and a lot of times it cost them man and you know not everybody can be golden state you know not everybody has the greatest shooting backcourt whoever played the game and the best shooter whoever played the game for real so um yeah it's interesting as i'm watching this game and also doing this podcast wendell's world of sports i'm your host wendell wallace so glad that you could be with us okay um on thursday the nfl draft is it gonna be a happening um, it's the, one of the best reality shows on television. It'll be the best reality show of that night. Uh, maybe even better than the NBA plots, dramas, uh, what the networks are looking for and will be focusing on. And of course, everything is centered around the quarterback when it comes to interest in viewership. No one really knows anything about an offensive guard. No one really knows anything about a defensive tackle. Everybody knows much more about, say, Bryce Young or Anthony Richardson or Will Levis or Hendon Hooker or C.J. Stroud. They know much more about him than they do probably the best player in the draft, which is Jalen Carter, the defensive tackle for the University of Georgia. But, of course, again, this is a TV show. And, and really, for um, the networks, I, I would have to imagine that it's like what we need to do once the four, for, for most parts, for the most part, most of the interest is going to be, okay, who's gonna, what, what's going to be happening to Anthony Richardson? Where is Anthony Richardson going to go, the quarterback for Florida? Where's Anthony Richardson going to be drafted, and where will Will Levis be drafted? After that, it really doesn't matter. Hendon Hooker, not really. No one gives a damn about Stetson Bennett. He ain't going to be called till probably late day two or day three anyway. So there, there's, there's really not that marquee. There's really not that marquee quarterback. This is not a marquee quarterback class that we could just sit there and say, "Ooh, what's going to be happening?" So you know, we we love. As far as the non-NFL diehard sports fan, if they're going to watch the draft or if they're going to be intrigued to watch the NFL draft or what's going to draw them in 
if, you know what, I'm really not interested in the NFL draft, but what's going to make them during a commercial of the show that they're watching on ESPN? Well, of course, that'll be the draft. On TNT. If they're watching the uh, NBA playoff game, if they're watching the Stanley Cup playoffs, if they're watching a Major League Baseball game, if they're going to be watching uh, Beat Bobby Flay on the Food Network channel, are they? if they're going to be watching Andrew Zimmerman's Bizarre Eats on the uh, on the Food Network channel, if they're going to be watching, uh, you know, whatever they're, what they're going to be watching, what is going to bring them to a the NFL draft, and then keep them there to say, ooh, I exactly want to see what happens. So look, it's a matter of, they always do this. Okay, there's four quarterbacks, right, in this year's draft. You have Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, Will Levis. A dream scenario for TV execs. First pick goes to the... Carolina Panthers, they draft Bryce Young. All of a sudden now, the Houston Texans with the second pick, they draft Will Anderson. Dun, dun, dun! Now, now we start to get, now as we say, the draft has started. Because now the situation where, look, Arizona has the number three pick. Are they going to keep the number three pick? Now teams that might need a quarterback, maybe a team like um, the Atlanta Falcons, maybe a team like the Indianapolis Colts, even though that they're drafting fourth, would they dare move up to make sure to ensure that a team like the New Orleans Saints, a team like the Minnesota Vikings, a team like uh, the Baltimore Ravens, a team like um, you know uh, the, the Atlanta Falcons, a, a team like the Las Vegas Raiders, are they are are the are the Indianapolis Colts going to move up to secure that number three spot, even though they're at number four? Because, oh my goodness gracious, we have a chance to draft ourselves C.J. Stroud. Is it worth drafting or moving to draft C.J. Stroud? Is it worth giving up the capital that it would take? And we're not talking about an extraordinary amount of uh, of, of, of capital or draft picks or players or anything like that, but would the Indianapolis Colts be willing to do so? Would the Arizona Cardinals be willing to play ball in that situation knowing that, hey, damn, we just lost the opportunity to draft ourselves Will Anderson because the Houston Texans did. So now all of a sudden, do they move back a little bit more possibly to get themselves a Jalen Carter or maybe um, the defensive end rusher from Texas Tech? What do the Arizona Cardinals do? So you have all of this time in between picks now the speculation starts. That's, that's, that's what, that is what the um, TV executive wants. This is what the networks want, right? This is what the TV partners want. Then we want to see either Anthony Richardson. I don't know who's going to be in the green room. I don't know who's going to be there uh, as far as the players are concerned. But what would be awesome, what would be great for TV executives and such is to see either Anthony Richardson, all four quarterbacks are there, right? You have Stroud, you have Young, you have Richardson, and you have Levis, right? Okay, Young gets drafted, Stroud gets drafted. Now the situation where one of those quarterbacks, whether it be Richardson, whether it be 
Levis, one of those guys is going to fall, right? It happens every year, right? They, they always talk about, oh, my goodness gracious, this pick doesn't come up. And all of a sudden, while other teams are drafting offensive linemen and linebackers and defensive tackles and defensive ends and safeties and cornerbacks and such, all of a sudden now, the, the, the fellas on ESPN, the fellas on the NFL Network, all of a sudden now, everything is going to be focused. Everything is going to be laser-sharp focus and intent on my goodness, when, where, how will either Will Levis or Anthony Richardson go? As we get into the teens, where are they going to go? And then we show the close-up. And then I guess now it probably goes to, what, 15, 16? I don't know exactly when the um, the league or the exec, whoever, goes to the table and says, hey, look, man, you're kind of falling a little bit. The next four picks probably aren't going to be uh, drafting you because... They already have a quarterback, and they need, and they have bigger needs. Do you want to, you know, go somewhere in private so these <laughs> these TV execs don't be showing your every emotion when um, someone is drafted? But 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 even that becomes a story. So basically, it becomes almost a guessing game. I'm surprised that even in Vegas, they don't even have this out here. Which quarterback do you think is going to fall the farthest? You wouldn't put that. You get even money on Bryce Young, of course, and CJ Stroud, you would get decent. You wouldn't get good odds. But between Levis, between Will Levis and Anthony Richardson, which one of these guys is going to do the uh, Brady Quinn? Which one of these guys is going to do the Geno Smith? Which one of these guys is going to do the Matt Leinart? Which one of these guys is going to do the Johnny Manziel? Which one of these guys is going to do the Aaron Rodgers in terms of, hey, man, I thought this guy was supposed to be top three, top four, top five. Now we're reaching the late uh, teens and he's still sitting around. That is what the TV execs want because that's going to be the only way to keep the casual draft watcher who enjoys NFL football, that's the only thing that's going to keep them around. Because just for the solid, just for the good, you know, NFL football watcher, the guy who watches football every Sunday, maybe not all 17 weeks and such, but he's invested in watching football. He's invested in his team. He knows that on Sunday he's going to be at least watching one game and possibly the Sunday night game. You don't need to have a guy who's going to be there with the uh, direct TV package so he can watch all of the games. We, we don't need the guy that's going to be at the uh, Buffalo Wild Wings at the sports bar from morning, noon, and night to uh, watch these games. What is going to keep these guys interested? What is going to keep the just the average, solid football fan interested in this NFL draft? It's going to be the drama, which is which quarterback is going to fall if it's is it going to be Will Levis or is it going to be Anthony Richardson and that's the deal man that's where it goes because the worst part to be the worst part it could be by um the time that um that um Las Vegas has their pick that they're going to go ahead and draft Will Levis and that will be it that uh, Bryce Young goes number one, C. Dre Stroud goes number two to Houston. Then you know Anthony Richard goes Richardson goes to maybe Seattle, and then um, Will Levis is gone by at least number eleven to Tennessee. Then there's like, okay, there's really nothing left to watch, right? I mean, you take a look, maybe Bijan Robinson. I, I know there's some. I know for the more hardcore football fans, I, I know there's some things out there that's going to keep them around. I mean, just in terms of what's going to be happening with Jalen Carter, a guy, again, 
who, if he wasn't such a knucklehead, if he didn't have so many questions, and when I say a knucklehead, when he is perceived from the outside looking in from somebody, from people who don't know the whole situation, and what's been reported, the way that he's been painted, he's been painted as a knucklehead. He's been painted as a guy who has some red flags. He's been painted as a guy where, yeah, look, man, there, there's some NFL uh, war rooms right now who are saying there's, there's some franchises right now who are like, we're not touching the guy. We're not touching the guy based on his character, based on what he did, based on uh, the incident that happened in Georgia after they won the championship, the, the driving incident. Uh, no, no bueno. Not happening. Not going on. Which team is going to take that chance? Which team? Now, it's always more interesting when it involves a quarterback because more people know about the quarterback than they do the defensive tackle, even if he's the best player by talent in the game playing for one of the best football teams in the last five or six years with the Georgia Bulldogs. But still, if you have Will Levis gone by Tennessee's pick at number 11, then I'm quite sure that the viewership is going to plummet, is going to drop off considerably. There'll still be folks like me who will be interested in watching, but uh, for the most part, yeah, you know, it'll be interesting to see that the uh, viewership will be a no more once that drama has been once that drama has been lifted and the quarterbacks are taken off the table. You take a look at the top 10 picks in this upcoming NFL draft. You have the Carolina Panthers, number one, Houston, number two, Atlanta, excuse me, Arizona, number three, Indianapolis, number four, Seattle, number five, Detroit, number six, Las Vegas, number seven, Atlanta, number eight, Chicago, number nine, and Philadelphia, number 10. Top players expected to be drafted, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Anderson, Tyree Wilson, the defensive end from Texas Tech, Devon Witherspoon, a cornerback from Illinois, Nolan Smith, outside linebacker from Georgia, Christian Gonzalez, cornerback from Oregon, Paris Johnson, the offensive tackle from Ohio State, Anthony Richardson, as I mentioned before, and Lucas Van Ness, defensive end from Iowa, along with Will Levis. So I know that half the most of these guys that I mentioned, you are you have no interest in in, in turning out and tuning in where they're going, right? Like, all, if, for instance, if Paris Johnson starts to fall for just the casual NFL draft viewer, that's not going to catch your attention, right? That's not going to be like, oh no, 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 I, I don't want to go back to the NFL game. I, I've uh, the uh, NBA playoff game. I've got to find out where Paris Johnson goes. No, that's that's not that's not going to be happening, right? And how about that? Trey Young just hit a three-pointer to put them up 119-117 with 1.8 seconds to go. And in all probability, they are headed back to Atlanta. Ain't that something? Trey Young, who I guess he's been on the uh, trade deadline this year. We've heard rumors. We've had heard talks about that, that he's on the trade deadline. Quinn Snyder, my man. One of these days, I'll get back to the NFL in a second. Hold on, hold on for a second. One of these days... And maybe I'll do it next segment when we're going to be focusing on basketball. Got to tell you a Quinn Snyder, very short, so stop rolling your eyes. Thank you. But I want to tell a uh, Quinn Snyder uh, story, and it's just kind of just makes me just feel old and like, wow, man, am I old. Back to the NFL. I'll get to Quinn Snyder in a second. But as I mentioned before, watching this game as I'm recording this podcast. But yeah, um, the top players expected to be drafted. 
in the NFL, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Anderson. I mean, what do you know about Will Anderson? Even though he played, even though he plays for Alabama, I know you don't know anything about Tyree Wilson. Don't sit there and talk about woo Tyree Wilson, baby. Don't be talking to me about Devon Witherspoon. How many games from uh, Illinois games did you watch? I'm going to say none or very close, maybe a couple of quarters. Um, Nolan Smith. Christian Gonzalez. Don't be talking about the cornerback from Oregon, Christian Gonzalez. Like, you know him as well as you know a Bryce Young or a C.J. Stroud. Don't be, no, 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 no. Don't be sitting there talking about, yeah, man, it had to be appointment viewing to watch Christian Gonzalez and I watch every single move. Don't give me that, man. You know that ain't, you know that ain't true. Same thing with the Paris Johnson, Anthony Richardson, yes, Lucas Vett. Do not tell me, do not, hey, man, do not tell me that you were sitting there watching Iowa football games. I would rather be in a dangerous prison surrounded by venomous reptiles, being facetious, maybe a little bit over, but basically watching Iowa football was, was, was horrible. Watching that team on offense was terrible. So do not tell me, unless you're listening to this podcast somewhere in Iowa, that, oh yeah, definitely was watching the uh, Iowa Hawkeyes play football and concentrating mainly on Lucas Van Ness. So, look, most of us, when we watch the draft, we know a couple of players. We know three or four players, and then that's it. We know the quarterbacks. We might know B. John Robinson. We might know a couple of wide receivers because skilled players, quarterbacks, running backs, um, that gets most of our attention so you know we can kind of equate to say hey I think that this guy should be going here or I think that uh, Bijan Robinson should be a top 10 draft pick or you know Jackson Smith and Nyingma of uh, Ohio State he should be going here or he should be drafted there all of these things we can kind of speak on a little bit with a little bit of knowledge because we've seen these guys we know more about the quarterback we can deduce we can evaluate we can have opinions about the strength the weaknesses how good a quarterback is more than we can an offensive guard or a defensive tackle or a safety or something like that you know we we we, we don't know we we can't break down um the casual football fan who just enjoys football we we can't break down what makes a good cornerback other than um, he doesn't allow the wide receiver to catch the football. We can't really break down a defensive tackle until we say, well, he tackles the quarterback and he tackles the running back. We really can't get into the the, the roles and the impact and the responsibility of a middle linebacker or an outside linebacker or a weak linebacker. or, or we, we can't really evaluate a nickel corner. We we just can't. But we can take a look at a quarterback and say, big, strong arm, and he completes the pass, and uh, he throws for a lot of yards. Sounds good to me. So, you know, our our levels of interest when it comes to the draft is geared toward the quarterback because, again, we know much more about them than we know anybody else. So it's, it's always... It's always funny, and it's always kind of hilarious to sit there and be speaking about. One thing is... After, like, you know, the quarterbacks are taken, B. John Robinson is taken, and we find out exactly where Jalen Carter is going to go, everything else is just kind of like, all right, whatever, good deal. And then by Friday and Saturday, because the draft, the first day of the draft is going to be on Thursday, and then you have the second day on Friday and the third day on Saturday. So by the time you hit Saturday, man, I mean, it's it's just really a waste of time. They're bringing everybody up there, man. They they the, the the guys on television know that 
anybody who's watching these programs have or watching this draft has no idea who these players are. None. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to talk about Aaron Rodgers going to the New York Jets. We're going to be talking about the Lamar Jackson situation. We're going to go over and over again the first couple of picks in the draft. We're going to be doing everything. We're going to be bringing in uh, uh, legends. We're going to be bringing in NFL players. We're going to be uh, there, there's a reason why Roger Goodell, who likes to bear hug every player that he's uh, that uh, comes up to. Um, uh, when their name is called, when they come up to the podium and Roger Goodell gives them a, a bear hug that, uh, you know, uh, that Tony Atlas would be proud of or or maybe a Scott Steiner, once he hit the steroids hard, would be proud of with the bear hug that he gives. I, I hope that Roger Goodell, like, if the Carolina Panthers select Bryce Young with the number one pick and if Bryce Young is there and he walks up to the podium are the Carolina Panthers and Bryce Young going to inform Roger Goodell and the agent for Bryce Young? Are they going to inform Goodell? Hey, look, man, just a quick dap, a pound, and then this no, no bear hugs. No bear hugs because we don't need any separated shoulders. We don't need any broken ribs. We don't need any bruised sternums. We don't need any of that stuff. We we just need just a quick little dap, a quick little pound. You know what's up? How's how you doing? You know chest bump, and that's about it, man. Because Roger, Roger be hugging them boys, boy. I tell you, he'd be squeezing them. He'd be squeezing them. Kind of like if I was, uh, kind of like if I was doing the beauty pageant, right? If I was doing like Miss Black America or Miss Asian America. All right, and let's bring up the contestant. Here is. Here is Shawanda Watson from Pennsylvania. Bring her on up. Come on up here, darling. Swimsuit edition. Yeah. Swimsuit. Swimsuit round. So let's bring up the contestants one by one. Let me name them off. Let me go ahead and introduce them. Let's bring it up for Shanika, Shanika Buchanan from Washington. Let's bring her up. Oh, that's what I'm doing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Give me some sugar, baby. So, uh, of course, that would only last like three contestants, and then they would kick me out. Then they would kick me out of the uh, deal. But, uh, hey. I would get my cheap thrill. Um, but yeah, so Roger Goodell with the uh, bear hugs. With um, with Bryce Young, uh, just keep it to a pound. Keep it to a pound. So yeah, man, the, the uh, draft is going to be something interesting. Will Carolina draft C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young with the number one pick? Early in the process, it was thought that Carolina would draft Stroud. Remember that? Because everything was just so centered around Bryce Young and his sides. Can you really draft somebody? who is 5'10 and weighs 204, who had to bulk up and do all these type of things to hit the 204. So I'm going to guess that once Bryce Young is uh, finally drafted, that, I mean, how much bigger, how much bulkier he can be? He's never going to bulk up to 215, 220. He's always going to be around, I don't know, maybe 210. Maybe that's going to be the most that he'll get up to if he's 200 pounds right now. He he ain't going to grow to be 6'4". I think his growing days are over. So we're looking at a guy where it's like, look, you know, people say, well, Drew Brees could do it. Okay, well, that's Drew Brees. Um, There's a lot of others that didn't succeed with that height. Now, there's intangibles, there's leadership, there's accuracy, there's this instincts on how how to play the game for uh, Bryce Young that um, makes the Carolina Panthers maybe say, well, maybe Bryce Young should be our guy. But for the longest, that has been the bugaboo for Bryce Young and because of that there was a, there was speculation that they would go with the more prototypical CJ Stroud who stands 6 foot 3 
and weighs 214 pounds. But uh, most experts and insiders now say that Young will be the number one pick by the Carolina Panthers. Again, he had the maturity, he had the skills, the leadership to be the number one pick without questions while having the physical tools to be the biggest boom or bust in the draft. Last uh, season in Alabama, threw for 3,300 yards, 32 touchdowns, five interceptions. The year before that, when he won the Heisman Trophy, 4,800 yards, 47 touchdowns, seven interceptions in 15 games, led the uh, Crimson Tide to the NCAA championship game where they lost to uh, Georgia. So if you take a look at the strengths of his game, speaking of Bryce Young, the most instructive and instinctive and natural quarterback in this class, he's a quick processor who throws with accuracy and excels as an out-of-the-structure improviser. And again, 5'10", 204 pounds. That's, uh, that's everything. And also, because of that size, he lacks elite arm strength. Drew Brees lacked elite arm strength. Okay, he is the outliner. So, but for the most part, I mean, we're, we're speaking about um, the Carolina Panthers going with Bryce Young. I have my doubts in terms of Bryce Young again, not not because of his skills and his ability, but but really because of his size, and, and maybe not just his height. It's just how small he is. I mean, two hundred and four pounds, and this was a guy again. He's not an elite athlete. He's not elusive like a Lamar Jackson, or he's not thick around the uh, backside in the lower hip area, like maybe a Russell Wilson. Um, you know, he doesn't have the the elusiveness and the speed and the fast twitch, uh, fast twitchness of someone like a uh, Kyler Murray, who are small in stature. So Bryce Young is more of your classical, I wouldn't say old school type of pocket uh, quarterback, but 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 he is a guy who's going to stay in the pocket. He is a guy who's going to make um, decisions and make plays with his um, with his arm. I mean, he doesn't have the versatility of a Jalen Hurts who can. Uh, you're not going to design any run out plays for um, Bryce Young. A he doesn't have the size, and B he doesn't have the athleticism. So it'll be interesting. I mean, a guy who was injured uh, as a sophomore, or excuse me, as a junior in Alabama. It'll be interesting to see how he holds up in the NFL. But, you know, we're, we're speaking about, uh, you know, um, you know he's going to be going to a, a coaching system with uh, Frank Reich. I mean, this is a situation for Frank to kind of put some shine back on a um, moniker that was tarnished when after his work with uh, Carson Wentz. Uh, he kind of fell off a little bit with the second time around when he was the coach with the Indianapolis uh, Colts. Um, he didn't do anything with Carson Wentz. He didn't do anything with uh, Matt Ryan. So, you know, this is a situation for um, uh, Frank Wright to repair his reputation just a bit as a guy who can um, do some things with some quarterbacks. So, yeah, man. So we have that. And then, of course, as I mentioned before, man, what 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 is Houston going to do? And would there be a situation where Houston not drafting C.J. Stroud at number two, you have a new head coach in D'Amico Ryans who has a defensive background. And the defense for Texas last year was a complete disaster. They were last in yards allowed. So not only do they need a quarterback, they also need a lot of things on defense. And then again, that brings us to the situation where how dominant, how awesome, what is the projection for Will Anderson? If he is truly going to be the best player, not named Jalen Carter, that's going to be draftable from the defensive side of the football this early in the draft, 
what type of an impact are we looking? And what impact could they be passing up if they pass on C.J. Stroud, even though the Texans have the number 12 pick in the draft because of the trade with um, the Cleveland Browns that uh, they sent um, – but they sent uh, Deshaun Watson. So because of that, they have the uh, Browns number 12 pick. And maybe there's some consensus. Maybe there's some um, scuttlebutt going, around, uh, going along that they could possibly be in a position to draft either Anthony Richardson or Will Levis if he falls that far. I mean, if you're the Houston Texans, I mean, are we really going to uh, go that route? How can you measure the impact of Will Anderson at number two and instead of drafting C.J. Stroud or maybe moving or, or, or drafting uh, – the second best quarterback in the NFL draft is C.J. Stroud this season. Um, you're going to be going for Will Levis. Each one of these quarterbacks have boomer bust potential, but C.J. Stroud seems like the C.J. Stroud seems like the guy who's going to either be really good or not so good. You know what I mean? Like I, I think like 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 Bryce Young had the ability. To be, you know, oh, this guy's going to be Drew Brees and he has Patrick Mahomes type instincts and he played the game sort of like Mahomes from the pocket and all these type of things. So, I mean, there's some real potential here that um, Bryce Young could be a franchise quarterback based on the physical tools that Anthony Richardson could be a guy that could be a franchise quarterback. Based on the physical tools and what Will Levis did his junior year at Kentucky that he could be a guy that could be a franchise quarterback. But each one of those guys that I just mentioned also has real bust mentality. None more so than Anthony Richardson, who, okay, that's great. Is he a quarterback who's an athlete, or is he an athlete playing quarterback? You know, and, and, and how much where he's going to go is very important. How much time, how much devotion are you going to give this guy? How much time not just going over just being an NFL football player and being an NFL professional but when are you finally going to put this guy in when will be the right time to put this guy in regardless of who drafts him and what's the out what their record is going to be because it's a situation where hey look man he could go to a team let's just throw out the instance that he could go to a team like the Indianapolis Colts just throwing that just throwing that team out there or 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 maybe he goes to the um Maybe to the Las Vegas Raiders or to the Atlanta Falcons, right? And we're in week 14. He hasn't played the entire season. We're in week 14. And the Raiders record or the Falcons record is 3-11, right? Or 4-10, right? You, you would be thinking that, okay, now it's time to play Richardson. Let's see what he has. There's only three weeks left, blah, blah, blah. But it might be a situation where, hey, look, man, he might not be ready to play. This might be a situation where, yeah, okay, that might be fine, but this is an investment that we are going to nurture. And, yeah, three games might be a complete disaster. Ask what happened when Malik Willis for Tennessee was forced into action for Tennessee. And all of a sudden, they found out really early that, nah, this guy ain't the one. But, you know, he was forced in a really difficult situation. So how do we know for sure? It looks like he might not ever be a number one quarterback. Didn't show anything that would even come close in the games that he had to play for Tennessee. But man, he was put into a position where how was he going to how how was he going to be successful and how can you even evaluate him? And then the San Francisco 49ers say, well, we put in Brock Purdy and he did all right, right? Okay, one was being coached by Kyle Shanahan and being um, and having the defense be the foundation. So all of these things come into play. 
all of these things. So when you speak about Will Levis, when you speak about um, Anthony Richardson, these quarterbacks, boomer busts are just um, a situation where it's like, hey, man, it's for real. It's for real. So um, it's, it'll be interesting, this NFL draft. I'm going to be watching the most of it. I'm, I'm going to be, depending upon now, now since the uh, Hawks have now forced game six back in in uh, in uh, Atlanta, then I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be watching that game, so I'll be going back and forth again. I'll be probably one of those who will find will find out where some of the quarterback goes, quarterbacks go, and when that happens, I'll say hasta la vista, baby. But um, there it goes, man. The NFL, uh, the NFL is something else. It never takes a break. Put it in the spotlight for a little bit. The far, excuse me, the um, Roger situation, the NFL draft on Thursday, but of course we got something else going on too. We got those NBA playoffs. We got those first round NBA playoffs. Now, from the outside looking in, before the playoffs began, you took a look at each conference and you said, "Bleh, first round is going to be boring. First round is going to be very predictable. First round is just going to be very mundane." But, 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 the NBA playoffs has taken a little bit of college basketball. March Madness. What makes March Madness so great? David beating Goliath, right? Now, in the NBA, especially in the playoffs, there are no such things as Davids versus Goliaths because um, there's just not enough teams to be having that type of a comparison. But we are seeing some top-seeded teams have a little trouble, have a little intrigue. We're starting to see some teams play better than what we thought was going on. Have a little, have a little intrigue. The NBA playoffs, man, it's heating up. Bucks, are they in trouble? Grizzlies, are they in trouble? What's going on with the Lakers? All of those things. The NBA playoffs. Wendell's World in Sports. Ready for war, Joe? How you wanna blow these spots? I know these dirty cops that'll get us in if we murder some wop. Hop in your helmet, the punishers ready. Meet me and Beatles with noodles, we do this do while he's slurping spaghetti. Everybody kiss the fucking floor, Joe. We crack, fuck them all if they move. Noodles shoot that fucking whore. Dead in the middle of little, literally little. Did we know that we riddle to middle man who didn't do diddly? Here to be a cold day and how the day I take it now. Make no mistake, for real, I wouldn't hesitate to kill. I'm still a fat one that you love to hate. Got you at your mother's waist, smack you then I whack. You with my stuff, I rub your face off the earth and curse your family's children like Amityville and drill the nerves in your cavity filling. Insanity's building a pavilion in my civilian. It can't be the energy that humanity's filling. I'm filling without remorse. Who's willing to out your boss forever and take all the chatter like child support? I support punning anything he does, anything he loves. Another brother from another mother sent for the above. A dark nigga just like me, one of the best might be. Even better, leaving niggas kneeling on their right knee. Spike Lee couldn't paint a better picture. You small change, I'm blowing Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. First round of the NBA playoffs. What is going on with the Milwaukee Bucks? What is happening with the Milwaukee Bucks? Now, yes, I am going to get to the Los Angeles Lakers. Yes, I'm going to get to LeBron's 2020. Yes, I'm going to be doing all those things. In the name of Barbara Walters, I'll be getting to LeBron's 2020. You get that? 2020 Barbara Walters. Yeah, yeah. 
people under the age of uh people under the age of uh 30 are going what the fuck is he talking about but um yeah man i'm going to be getting to lebron hold on armando take it easy man i'll be getting to your lakers good god almighty um but i'm I'm just curious to find out what the hell is going on with the milwaukee bucks are the milwaukee bucks in some serious trouble after losing game four to miami 119 114 because they're down 3-1 to one after blowing a 12-point lead with six minutes left to go in the game. It was 101-89, and then the uh, Heat and Jimmy Butler said, screw this, 13 unanswered points, outscored them 30-13 to 13 in the rest of the game. Miami went 8-9 from down the, um, down the stretch from that point, and Jimmy Butler had one of the greatest... I don't want to be too hyperbole here, but uh, I don't want to use too much hyperbole. hyperbole but um, Jimmy Butler was, uh, let's just say that he was pretty good. 56 points, finished the game going 19-28 to from the field, 3 of 8 on 3-pointers, 15 of 18 from the free throw line, added 9 rebounds. According to ESPN stats and information, Butler scored against 7 different primary defenders from Milwaukee, which included hitting 16 of 21 contested shots. For Milwaukee, Brooke Lopez had 36 points on 13 of 23 shooting with 11 rebounds. Giannis had 26 points, 12 of 22 from the field, 10 rebounds, 13 assists after missing the first two and a half games because of injury. But the rest of the starting five for Milwaukee, Chris Middleton, Jeru Holiday, and Grayson Allen were uh, MIA. They combined to shoot 12 of 37 from the uh, floor. So I'm, 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 hmm. I've always said this about Milwaukee. And I thought Jay Crowder, that pickup, I thought Jay Crowder was going to be the one that was supposed to be guarding um, Jimmy Butler. That he was going to be guarding the Jimmy Butlers of the world. The one thing, though, that I was seeing, and, and, and this is going to be moving forward. Let's just say, for instance, that the um, Milwaukee Bucks lose in six. Number one, you're not firing Mike Budenholzer. You're not going to be doing that. So I know for a while there, before Milwaukee won that uh, championship, that everybody was talking about fire Budenholzer, fire Budenholzer. And he was a Kevin Durant three-point, two-point shot instead of a three-point shot away from being fired. If you remember game seven in the Milwaukee's run to the championship where they played against the uh, Brooklyn Nets and Kevin Durant hit that shot where he had his pinky toe or he had his big toe on the line. So instead of it being a three, which would have given Mil- uh, which would have given Brooklyn the win, it only counted as a two. They went to overtime and w- Milwaukee survived and advanced. But man, I, it's just a situation with Milwaukee and people were, including me, were making the assumption that, hey man, the only reason why the Celtics even made the NBA Finals last year was because of the tremendous Game 6 from Jason Tatum who saved their bacon and also the fact that Chris Middleton was out and Milwaukee just basically ran out of gas. But um, I've always thought that the one weakness of Milwaukee was a playmaker. Jeruel Holiday is a very underrated basketball player. He is a guy. He he is he is a really good glue guy, shall we say? One of the and I don't even know. I, I don't even want to use the term glue guy because it's almost like saying a really good quarterback being a game manager. You know what I mean? But 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 Holiday is is very good at a lot of things. He's a good uh, defender. Um, you know, he's good with the basketball. He's good as a, a point guard. But but sometimes. Sometimes he starts trying to score and do a thing, and sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. And last night, when you shoot six for 19, it's not. And I've always thought that the 
the, the small forward shooting guard position for the Milwaukee Bucks was lacking the um, was lacking the um, athleticism that they needed to really be a really good team. Now, yes, you have the all-star, you have the mega-star, you have the superstar, you have the MVP, you have the two-time MVP, you have the top three player in the game, Giannis Adedekupo, on your team. You have a very good defensive front court with him and Brooke Lopez. You have a situation where um, you have Chris Middleton, who's an all-star. You have a really good glue guy in Drew Holiday, but you're just missing that one piece in terms of, look, Grayson Allen is your starting two guard. And after that, who you're bringing in? You're going to bring in what, Wesley Matthews? There's really nobody on that bench. There's really nobody to really ascertain a certain role for them to be uh, successful, I think, in the playoffs. So when you run into a Jimmy Butler, as good as Chris Middleton is, he just doesn't have the athleticism to keep up with someone like him. Now, yes, when the game that Jimmy Butler and Jimmy Butler is a great playoff player and all those type of things, but hey, man, you know, these things are going to happen. It, it reared its ugly head that Milwaukee has nobody, nobody from the small forward shooting guard position to slow these guys down. They didn't last year when it was uh, Jason Tatum who baked, who saved the uh, Celtics season, and it could be a situation where it's Jimmy Butler this season. Nobody from the small forward or shooting guard position for Milwaukee can um, go ahead and deal with anybody of athleticism and skill uh, with the uh, from the other team. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, you know, there's still the situation. There's still the story. There's still the argument. There's still the opinion. There's still the movie that's going to be played to say that, hey, once Giannis comes back, which he did come back, he showed no real ill effects of the injury that he suffered in game one, came back with a strong game that, you know, it was a situation where the Bucks come home, they win game five, then game six is going to be uh, whoever. You also have to remember that uh, they held a 13-point lead uh, um, in Milwaukee or held a 12-point lead late in the fourth quarter before Jimmy Butler went nuts. Um, how Can we really expect for Jimmy Butler to do that again? That's going to be interesting. That's going to be like, don't know, don't know. You really can't bank on that. But so if, you know, Milwaukee, who on paper, regular season, should be the better team, especially with Miami not having Tyler Hero in the uh, series, is a situation where all they need to do is win game four, or excuse me, game five back home. Then they'll take care of game six. Then game seven, they should be able to clear out. So what I'm saying is the pundits are saying that if anybody, if any team can go out there and win three games in a row to come back, it's going to be the Milwaukee Bucks. And I just don't know, man. I just don't know. Again, um, Jimmy Butler has been that unstoppable force. And when Middleton and Holiday play like they did, I mean, who's going to stop that force going forward? I think that Milwaukee will come back guns ablaze in the, uh, the, the desperation being at an all-time high to uh, win the series and save their series and play as hard as they can to win game five. But moving forward to uh, game six, also for the Miami Heat, knowing how important that game is going to be. I don't I don't know if the Bucks can pull it off, but i tell you one thing. I'm really interested in watching to find out what's going on. And if the Bucks do lose this series to the, um, to the uh, Miami Heat, what, what, what is that going to signal for Milwaukee moving forward? Milwaukee is not a free agency destination place. 
But what 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 is that going to mean for them moving forward? One of the most disappointing losses when you when you speak about um, them losing if they lose this series to a depleted. When I say depleted, missing what their third best player in Tyler Hero. Most of the time, their second best player in Tyler Hero on a team that uh, they should have beaten easily. What does that mean? Yeah, I know that Giannis was out, but guess what? When he did go out in Game One, Miami was in complete control of that game. Game Two. The Bucks blew them out without Giannis. So don't just sit there and talk about, oh my goodness, Giannis, this is the other. If you're the best, if the, the, the Bucks had the best record in the NBA. I mean, they're not a Giannis injury away from being embarrassed and being and, and losing in the first round to uh, the Miami Heat. Uh, you have the best record in the NBA and you are perceived to be the best team in the NBA. You you have to do better than that to have the excuse to say, well, we had Giannis go out and miss two and a half games, so it's acceptable that we lost in the first round to the number eight seed, the Miami Heat. No, and that's not that's not acceptable. So it'll be interesting to see who takes the fall. We'll see what would be interesting for the Milwaukee Bucks if they do lose in the first round. What they do to rectify that situation. The, the, the window of opportunity in sports is always not as large or not, always not as long as you think it is. So it'll be interesting moving forward with that. Um, whoo, the Cleveland Cavaliers and the New York Knicks. One team is ready for prime time, sort of, kind of, and the other team ain't. Let me tell you something. The Knicks are up 3-1 to one over the Cavaliers. This has not been a scintillating type of performance by the New York Knicks. I know that Tim Legler getting on the air on the Mike Greenberg show talking about, ooh, my goodness gracious, I would absolutely love to see what the New York Knicks were going to be doing. I think the matchup is going to be great against the Boston Celtics and this, that, and the other. Hey, man, I, I, I don't know if it's a situation more than I just haven't been impressed with the Cleveland Cavaliers. I just really haven't. Evan Mobley has been very silent, has not made an impact. I don't think that he's ready uh, for this type of environment in terms of being a guy who can uh, be a major part of a team that can move and be conference uh, championship material or, um, or be contenders for championship material in their conference. Not saying that he won't get there. He will. But as of right now, at this point, it's a learning process for him. And he's going up against Julius Randle. He's going up against some other veterans with the Knicks who have been in this situation before, who have played in this first round uh, uh, deal before. So this is a learning experience for uh, Evan Mobley. You, you, You take a look at someone like a Donovan Mitchell, man, who's sitting there talking about, man, you know, Mitchell was, what, 4 for 14 or 4 for 15? The guy was invisible on um, on Sunday in, in Game 4. And, you know, when he's hot, he's hot. I've always said no one takes more bad shots in the NBA than Donovan Mitchell. But when he's on, he's going to score 71 because he definitely has no conscience. But when he doesn't, he's going to show what he did um, against the Knicks on Sunday. And there's nothing else... There is nothing else to Donovan Mitchell. He's not Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday can go 6 for 25, but still have an impact because he's going to guard. He's going to defend. He's going to rebound. He's going to do the dirty work. He's going to do all those type of things. Donovan Mitchell Donovan Mitchell is a scorer, and that's about it. He's not going to facilitate the basketball. He's not going to defend anybody. He's not going to help on the boards. I mean, how many times did we see Josh Hart for the Knicks go ahead and get an offensive rebound, and his man, Donovan Mitchell, who was supposed to be blocking him out, was nowhere to be found? 
So with Mitchell, it's a matter of, hey, look, man, you've got to be explosive. You have got to be the scorer. You've got to be the guy. Because if you're not, there's really nothing else that you bring to the table. And it's been shown in the playoffs. It was shown last season with the Utah Jazz where he was severely outplayed by Jalen Brunson. Same thing is happening now in his first year with the Cavaliers in the playoffs against the Knicks. It was shown in the bubble. Uh, even though he had some really good games going head-to-head against Jamal Murray in the bubble the uh, COVID year, uh, eventually that the Jazz uh, lost to the Nuggets. So, you know, it's been a very bad been a very bad series so far for Donovan Mitchell. And, and we're waiting for that 50-point explosion. We're waiting for uh, that Donovan Mitchell type of game where he is, stru- he is uh, greatly impactful. But because of that, it's going to be based on him scoring 30 points plus because he's going to bring nothing to the table. He's not going to go 4 for 14 but play great defense. He's not going to go 4 for 17 but still have 8 assists. He's not going to go 5 for 21 and still be a plus whatever on the plus minus. He's not going to go 6 for 22 but uh, still make an impact on the game. That's not... Uh, that's not Donovan Mitchell, so we'll see what happens. Darius Garland, another guy. These guys, the Cavaliers right now, they're learning. And they're not talented enough. They're talented, but they're not talented enough, I think, to overcome some of the um, lack of experience uh, in the playoffs. Again, especially when you're going against a team like the Knicks, who they aren't grizzled vets when it comes to the NBA playoffs. But uh, they're only, what, two years or one year removed from uh, being in the playoffs and experiencing um, and, and experiencing those uh, situations. So, you know, for the uh, Knicks, hey, look, man, I mean, you know, they, they, again, I think they've been, I think they've taken advantage of the inexperience, playoff inexperience of the uh, Cavaliers. Not saying by any stretch that this series is over. Again, um, Miami, excuse me, um, the um, Cleveland, the Cavaliers have the same um, are in the same position to come back and win as the Milwaukee Bucks. It wouldn't shock me if they did come back and win the series because the Knicks still are. I mean, R.J. Barrett has been um, inconsistent. Um, at the end of Game 4, Julius Randle was sitting on the bench. I don't know how much the uh, ankle injury has played into that, but, uh, you know, he hasn't been that prime factor. Uh, Jaylen, it's been Jalen Brunson and um, a couple of role players and Josh Hart. That's about it. That, that's been the New York Knicks. That's supposed to be the team that's supposed to put some fear into the uh, Boston Celtics. Now, I'm saying this on a day when the Celtics just lost at home to the Atlanta Hawks. But still, I mean, the Knicks don't scare nobody. The Knicks ain't scaring nobody. Are the Knicks going to uh, beat the Philadelphia 76ers? So it depends. But it, that, that, I would go with the Sixers in that series. So, I mean, you know, let's kind of pump the brakes on the New York Knicks doing some things because they're beating a team that are neophytes as far as the playoff experiences are concerned when you're playing against the Cleveland Cavaliers. So, you know, the um, <clears throat> the um, 76ers have already wrapped up their series beating the um, beating the um, new uh, Brooklyn Nets. Really not too much with that. Um, interesting now with Boston and Atlanta. We'll see what happens in Game 6. I still think that uh, Boston's going to win this series. It was just a situation where, hey, look, man, Trey Young made a, made a great shot. So, Good for him. Uh, Boston or Milwaukee. We'll see about that series. But uh, yeah, the Eastern Conference. When when you thought that it was just going to be just a just easy, boring, no care, who cares? We could just ignore these uh, first round type of series. Hey, man, they've given us a reason to uh, pay attention. Not just with the Knicks and Cavs. Not just with 
the uh, Celtics and the Hawks now, but also with the Bucks and the Miami Heat, the Eastern Conference, man. The Eastern Conference is getting really exciting, and we haven't even spoke about what's happening in the Western Conference where the King reigns. 2020, my vision on what's happening in that series is extremely, extremely clear. Last segment of the podcast. Last segment of the program. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast, speaking about what's going on in the world of sports, speaking about my NBA, speaking about the NBA playoffs. Last segment, we spoke about the Eastern Conference, spoke about the Knicks, spoke about the Cavs, spoke about the Heat, spoke about Milwaukee, spoke about all them teams. Now... Let's go ahead and uh, start talking about the Los Angeles Lakers. My goodness gracious, man. Um, hmm. I, uh, hmm. Here's, here's my deal. I, I, I know that we want to applaud, and I know that we want to now, you know, get on Kendrick Perkins' bandwagon and think and say out loud, wait a minute. Are the Lakers really going to uh, make it to the NBA Finals? What's going on here? This, that, and the other. The number seven seed, the play-in tournament team, one game away from beating the Memphis Grizzlies. And unlike what's going on with the Bucks and Miami, unlike what's going on with Cleveland and um, the New York Knicks, in terms of a higher seed making a comeback down 3-1. And ain't that something? What was the last time that you heard of a NBA playoffs where you had the number one and you had the number two seeds in one of the conferences and even the number four seed, the higher seeds? How many times have we heard, how many times have you experienced in the first round of the NBA playoffs that lower seeds were in this type of advantageous position against the higher seeds. As I mentioned before, in the Eastern Conference, the number one seed is on the verge of going down. In the Western Conference, now the number two seed, the Memphis Grizzlies, they're one game away from going down. And if all the teams and all the higher seeds who I have the least amount of confidence in when it comes to coming back and winning these uh, series, the Memphis Grizzlies are at the top of my list. Um, they were valiant in game four against the Lakers. But man, what does it say for the Memphis Grizzlies that you cannot beat the Los Angeles Lakers, albeit at home for the Lakers? What does it say that the number two seeded Memphis Grizzlies can't beat in a must-win game for those guys? What does it say for the Memphis Grizzlies, man, that you can't beat the Los Angeles Lakers when Anthony Davis, for the most part, I'm saying, I, I, have to, I have to say what I have to say, for the most part, especially when you're speaking about the first half, when Anthony Davis was playing like a bitch, what, what, what does it say that you fell behind by double figures before making a run late in the first, in the uh, first half that Anthony Davis, Davis was playing soft? Anthony Davis was playing like he was asleep. Anthony Davis was playing like doo-doo, but yet and still, 
you were still down in a must-win game on the road that you were still down by double figures before Bain and Moran finally got it in gear. And even throughout the second half, Davis didn't assert himself. He had a terrible game. I mean, overall, he finished with, what, 12 rebounds, 9.4 for 13, but yet and still, I mean, it was crunch time, and they were going to Austin Reeves and Dennis Schroeder in terms of making the decisions. Where was where was Anthony Davis during that time? During the season, or during the series against Memphis, we haven't seen the Anthony Davis that was for a lot of the time, especially in the second half of the season, we, we haven't seen an Anthony Davis who was one of the best players in the NBA. We haven't seen an Anthony Davis this series. He spent more time being thrown around in the first half last night by the Memphis Grizzlies being punched in the uh, G-Roin. We saw him withering and, 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 and just and, and murking and mucking and doing all these type of things and laboring. We saw more than that than uh, he was as a, as a dominant force. So now the Lakers are up three games to one and we haven't even seen a real Anthony Davis yet. Or if this is the Anthony Davis, we have seen an inconsistent Anthony Davis. What happened is Anthony Davis decides that he's going to explode and have one of those games that he was putting up on a consistent basis near the, uh, the second half of the NBA season this year. The, 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 the Grizzlies are done. The Grizzlies aren't going to win game five because you don't have Brandon Clark. You don't have Steven Adams. You only have Jaron Jackson Jr., who for the most part is roaming. Um, so it's a situation where Davis should be able to go to town like James Brown getting down like a sex machine. You know what I mean? And he hasn't been doing that. So the anticipation's got to come, right? I mean, isn't this is a situation where Davis is due for a big game. Davis is at least due for an impactful game because he sure hasn't had one in this series against Memphis. Yet and still, the Lakers are ahead in the series three games to one. And there were a lot of flaws, man. If you're a Memphis Grizzlies fan, you got to be sitting there saying, what the fuck is going on? Because LeBron... <laughs> LeBron was um, LeBron was impactful, no doubt about it. But boy, there were possessions where it was just like it was like um, bleeding eyes to see LeBron hold the ball, hold, 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 trying to size up Spencer Tillman uh, Senior, hold, hold, hold. The other four guys on the other side of the court just standing there, hold, hold, hold. The uh, shot clock is running down. It's under seven seconds, six seconds, five seconds. Hold, hold, hold. And then to see a LeBron James at the age of 38 try to get to the rim against Spencer Tillman Jr. <sighs> Boy, from a guy who has seen LeBron James play for his entire career. Woo! Boy, it, 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 it was painful. It was painful, man. Now... Through guile, through toughness, through intelligence, through experience, and all those type of things. He, he made it work a lot of the times. But, man, there were just times where he was just killing the Lakers offense because he got the ball, hold, hold, mainly off a of pick and roll with Schroeder. We get the ball, looking, hunting for the mismatch. He would get the mismatch with Tillman. Hold, hold. Hold. It was worse than Charles Barkley when he was uh, catching the ball in the post near the end of his career when he couldn't play anymore against Houston when he was playing for Houston. And he got the ball in the post and he would hold, hold, 
hold. It was just like, geez, man. Shot clock's running down. Hold, hold. So it was interesting just to see that offense because, again, they weren't running anything except high pick and rolls, searching and hunting for mismatches. And, yeah, I, I know that Austin Reeves did well, and I think the narrative in terms of some of the praise for Austin Reeves is in some of the Sometimes we neglect to point out some of the uh, mistakes that he makes because we didn't expect Austin Rees to uh, play this well. But one of the reasons why Memphis got back into the game uh, near the end of the first half because all of a sudden now Austin Rees thought that he was going to be the guy that was supposed to be the main shooter. Here was a guy who was coming off high pick and rolls and he thought that he was going to uh, you know, be the man. And Jaron Jackson said, uh, no, you're not. And swatted away a couple of his shots. He made a couple of bad fouls, gave him four fouls. And um, he was one of the culprits for Memphis to get back into the game in the first half. I, I thought that he had an impactful game, no doubt about it. But, I mean, it was a situation where, again, if you're Memphis, you're sitting there talking about, well, how, how in the hell are we getting outplayed by Austin Reeves? How are we getting outplayed by Dennis Schroeder? How are we getting outplayed uh, in spurts by D'Angelo Russell? H- how is this happening? Rudy Hachimura... Finally came back to being Rudy Hachimura, and Memphis still couldn't win. Desmond Bain all of a sudden came back to playing like Desmond Bain for the most part until he ran out of gas and started missing three-pointers near the end of the game in overtime. But, um, you know, John Morant was John Morant was uh, not as impactful as he should have been. I mean, Dylan Brooks has basically psyched, him, basically psyched himself out, um, so his impact is less than zero. So, so now it's a situation where you have you have Morant who's injured, and he he's going to the basket hard and he's doing his thing. Bain finally had himself a hell of a game, but when they needed it most, he was too tired to give them anything. Uh, Luke Kennard has given them nothing. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. has not been the impactful player that he has needed to be. Um, the, the the Grizzlies, man, I don't know that they lose. And, and even if they lose in game six, it's not like, hey, you're losing game six instead of game five. We'll be all right. I mean, it's a situation here where it's kind of like, look, man, if, if you're Memphis, you, you need you need a culture change. If you lose, again, if you lose, let's say, in five games, or if you go out meekly in six to a team in the Lakers in which you should beat, there, there needs to be some type of culture change. Because because now the bold, the brash, the young, the cocky Memphis Grizzlies, now you guys are just a bunch of fucking clowns. I mean, D- Dylan Brooks, I mean, hey, look, man, if you're going to talk some shit, if you're going to put on the shades and look like a clown and, and look like a fool and play the role of a heel and go MJF and do all that type of bullshit and, and go Roddy Roddy Piper and do all this type of nonsense and go Roman Reigns, acknowledge me. If you're going to be doing all that bullshit and talk about LeBron's old and he's dumb and all this kind of stuff, hey, man, at the very least, I mean, if you're going to be a, a jackass, if you're going to play the asshole role, you you got to go all the way, which means... Even if you get torched, you gotta say, fuck it, he still sucks. I mean, because, I mean, even, you know, at least, at least sit there and say, you got lucky. Because even though he got lucky, he ain't shit, he still ain't nothing, big deal. Um, Austin Reeves is playing, playing better than him. E- even if you're flailing, even if you're trying to come up with anything to kind of save your soul or to kind of save your, your rep, anything, any stupidity that would come out of your mouth, in terms of, well, he ain't shit, he still ain't nothing, this, that, and the other, 
any of that is better than not saying anything at all. I mean, I would rather be, I don't know what would be worse. I don't know what you would rather be referred as, a coward or a fool. But not saying anything? Dylan, you're coming off as spineless. You're coming off as gutless. You're coming off as cowardly. Come on, man. Just sit there and be like, fuck it. All right. Well, you know, e- either say, fuck it. I just think, no, he's probably, you know, I, I misunderstood him, whatever. Or just continue to play the heel role. Just continue to say, yeah, he ain't shit. Big fucking deal. You already look like a fool. So there, there, there's some things going on that I don't think, uh, you know, Brandon Clark and Steven Adams coming back is going to solve for the Memphis Grizzlies. Because I don't care, man. You know, you're, you're playing a team in the Lakers with home court advantage that you should beat. That you should beat, period. All the talk, all the bullshit, all the nonsense, all the bravado that the uh, Memphis Grizzly gives, that the, uh, you know, John Morant talking about, oh yeah, you know, which team do you fear most in the West? I feel the Boston Celtics. Man, your motherfucking ass ain't gonna even get out of the first fucking round. So, there's gotta be, you know, Taylor Jenkins, I don't mind these guys talking as long as they put in the work, this, that, and the other. Hey man, there's gotta be an adult in the room. To say, oh, look, look, enough of the bullshit, enough of the swagger, enough of the talk, enough of the nonsense. You know, I mean, it should have been, I wasn't, the Memphis Grizzlies, it's not a situation where, man, these last couple of years, they should have won themselves an NBA championship. That That's not the point. Because they weren't good enough. But they should be developing with this core. If you're going to have this core of Ja Morant, Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson, and Dylan Brooks. If you're going to have this core, you're going to have to do better than what you're doing because this is definitely a step back. And I don't know where you go. I don't know where you go from here. I don't know what you do from here. Now, a lot can be said between now and whenever they play, when they play tomorrow, and we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, if you're Memphis, man, you don't even take this shit game by game. You take it quarter by quarter. Shit, you take it by possession by possession but all the stuff that was swirling around with John Morant this year and him being suspended and all the nonsense and now you got all this stuff look man there, there, there's got to be some I don't know there, there, there's got to be somebody if, if you're going to have Morant be the face of the franchise in which you should you'd be a fool not to he's one of the best players in the NBA but if you're going to have Morant be that guy you got to give him some help and when I say give him some help you you got to give him a veteran presence the same thing with Luka Doncic for Dallas, who is, you know, otherworldly in terms of his ability, in terms of his skill. But maturity-wise, he ain't there yet to lead a team going anywhere. He doesn't have the maturity level. Yes, I know other things happen off the court and everything. But still, Luka Doncic has not shown the ability to lead a team to a championship based on his leadership and maturity level. He needs a veteran. He needs a... He needs a, a a guy in there um, who is a nine or ten year vet who can show him the way. And the same thing with John Morant. I don't know who that guy is. It would be nice if he had someone like a Jimmy Butler. It would be nice if he had someone of that ilk. It would be nice if he had talking about Morant that if, if he had someone like that who you know the team could look up to the team not not look up to but respect respect is the better word that they could respect to say. So when he says, "Hey man, enough of the bullshit, enough with the nonsense, enough with the enough with the 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 the, the noise," 
Let's go ahead and play some basketball, man. Let's go ahead and do that and win some basketball games, win championships. And then when we start winning championships, we can talk all the shit that we want to. But until then, let's just shut the fuck up and play basketball and win some games. Until you have that guy on the team for Memphis who has been through the uh, ringers, won a, won a ring, not as a main guy or anything like that, but still a veteran, then, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're in trouble. A Chris Paul type, someone of that type of leadership, they're going to be in trouble for Memphis. So, uh, yeah, man, you can't have Austin Reeves and you can't have D'Angelo Russells for a period of time outplaying you. Unacceptable, inexcusable, and something needs to be done again if Memphis goes, bows out uh, in the first round against the uh, Lakers. Again, the best uh, um, series going on is Sacramento and the Golden State Warriors, damn, the damn, the damn, damn, damn. I wish this was the best of 37. Um, great game, best game of the playoffs so far, game four. Uh, Steph Curry doing a Chris Webber calling the uh, timeout. I, I, I think also when you talk about, people are talking about, okay, Golden State won that game. Sacramento had their chance. Now Golden State is going to uh, come back. They're going to... Um, they're going to, um, you know, win game five and then win game six because um, Sacramento's going to lament the uh, opportunity that they lost to uh, really put a stranglehold on the series. Because even if Sacramento, even if Harrison Barnes would have won that game and Sacramento would have been up three to one, I'm quite sure there would still be a lot of chatter that, hey, look, man, you know, the Warriors are champions. They can go ahead. Let's take a look at games two and uh, one and two where they were right there. They won a game on five against Sacramento to make it 3-2, and Sacramento's going to be feeling the pressure, and then they can go back home to Golden State and blah, blah, blah. So even if Sacramento would have won, I I still think that the storyline still would have been like, you know, um, Golden State is still in the series. It wouldn't have have, have quote-unquote buried them. But um, you know the, the the thing that the thing that is heartening, and while I say this game or this series is still a toss up, is because if, for instance, if Golden State would have repeated in Game Four what they did in Game Five, which would basically blow Sacramento out, then I would think, yeah, the narrative that, you know what, Sacramento's going to lose game five, Golden State has now got their group back, now they're going to switch, flip on the switch, and now they've got that uh, championship mojo going, blah, 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 and I think they're going to come back and win this series, of, or they're going to win four straight. If if Sacramento would have lost at Golden State in that fashion, I think that would have been the narrative. But the fact that Sacramento, so many times in game four, where you thought, okay, they're done. Golden State's now a series. Golden State is now clicking. Not, not, not that that not, not not that Sacramento was going to get blown out, but the fact that okay, here we go. Now they're going to win by a comfortable eight or a comfortable eleven, somewhere around there. The fact that that never happened, and Sacramento kept coming back and coming back and coming back, despite getting nothing from um, Kevin Herter despite getting nothing from Malik Monk, despite the struggles of uh, Sabonis, DeMontis Sabonis, despite all of those things, Keegan Murray stepped up and had a great uh, game four. Uh, Fox was still De'Aaron Fox. I mean, uh, Sabonis did the dirty work and such, even though not giving much on the uh, offensive end. But I, I think it rules. I mean, Mike Brown can come in there and say, fellas, hey man, game five is isn't the end-all, the be-all. Yes, 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 yes. 
We want we want to win game five. Please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we need to be lackadaisical. I know that uh, De'Aaron Fox was listed as doubtful. I'm quite sure that he'll play in game five. They need him because of a finger injury. But I- I'm not saying Mike Brown is saying, hey, screw it. We can afford to lose game five. Fuck it. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that, hey, man, we're going to win game five. But if we don't, this series still ain't over because we saw how we uh, played in game four. So, you know, again, if we, if, if we, if Sacramento would have lost in convincing fashion both games three and four, then yes, it would have been a situation where it's like, look, man, we have got to win game five because as we've seen in game six, or we've seen uh, when we go on the road against Sac- against uh, Golden State, they're really, really good and we haven't been able to really compete. So yes, game five, on Thursday or Wednesday, whatever, it is paramount that we win. But because of the way that they played in Game Four, competitive that as competitive that they were, hey man, you know what? Yes, yes, winning Game Four or Game Five, excuse me, is very important. But it is, it is not the end all, to be all. Um, I'm watching right now the Clippers and the uh, Phoenix Suns. Uh, Phoenix should take care of business. Phoenix should de- definitely take care of business. Close them out in game five. Uh, at home, no excuse. The Clips are without Paul George, without Kawhi Leonard. And it's like, man, good God almighty, man, for Kawhi Leonard. It's, it's, it's mm. I mean, he he's almost like Chris Paul in terms of, man, how, how much can you really count on this guy during the playoffs? And with Kawhi, because he doesn't say anything, I mean, is he is he sort of like Zion Williams in terms of, yeah, I I I could play, but mentally I'm just not there yet. I mean, I don't know. I'm not I'm not questioning Kawhi's toughness or anything like that. But it's like, damn man, of all the times now he played great in Game One. Now I know that he was injured in you know Game One and he Game Two, and they just couldn't go Game Three, Four. And now game five, and I'm, I'm quite sure Kawhi is like, you know, I'm quite sure Kawhi, if he could play, that he would play. But it's it's just like, damn, man. It's like, is Kawhi ever going to be truly Kawhi? You know what I mean? We, we thought that he had turned the corner the way that he was playing the second half of the season where he was one of the best players in the NBA. We thought the old Kawhi was back. And we know what the old Kawhi can do when he reaches the playoffs. So it was like a situation where it was like, hey, man, we re- we have a real uh, uh, chance for the Clippers to uh, win this series, but now it's like a situation where he's out, and the Clippers, you know how secretive they are when it comes to Kawhi. Uh, you know when he tore his uh, ACL uh, against Dallas a couple of years ago in the playoffs, and they were like, "Well, he's questionable. Well, he couldn't come back." It's like, yeah, the guy has a don't think I have an ACL. Well, he has a knee injury. We're not saying anything. All right, man, come on. So I, you know, who who knows from day to day? Who knows? Kawhi could come back if uh, um, the Clippers win Game Four. They could come back and have Kawhi back, and you know they're still down three two. But hey, man, with Kawhi, it's always a series uh, with this guy because he can give you thirty five to forty five in a playoff game and be impactful. And uh, you know, you never know. But with the Clippers, it's just always a situation. Look, you've got Paul George, you've got Kawhi Leonard. This was supposed to be the team that was going to really compete for championships. And, and, and now take a look at what they're doing. 
Now take a look at where they're going. It's, it would be another disappointing season. Do you blow this team up? Of course you don't, but it's like, you know, you got Steve Ballmer and you're worth 140 gajillion dollars. It's like, damn, man, what 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 more what more can you do? And for the Suns, hey man, let's go ahead and get this thing together. I'm interested in this game to see um on the assumption that they win this series. Uh, how are they going to be looking against the uh, Denver Nuggets, who I'm going to go on the assumption that they're going to beat the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves. They're playing right now on NBA TV, but I'm interested to see, you know, if uh, how how Phoenix plays against an undermanned uh, Clipper team, how eventually they're going to do against the best team record-wise in the Western Conference with the uh, Minnesota, with the um, Denver Nuggets, so. There you go. All right, I'm done. I'm out of here. Time for me to watch a little Suns, watch a little Clippers. In fact, the game is still tight. Uh, the Clippers are ahead at Phoenix. I'm telling you, Phoenix better win this game, man. I'm not saying because the Clippers are going to come back and win, but I'm just saying, come on now. Come on, put this team away if you're Phoenix. So, um, yeah, so I'll take a close look at that and uh, speak about that stuff. Want to... Uh, Thank everybody for watching, for listening to the uh, podcast. As always, man, if you would please, as always, can we just have a little love, peace, and tenderness? Can we do what we need to do to make this world a better place? It would be fantastic. It would be wonderful, man. Go ahead, have a conversation. Somebody, anybody who is different from you, different political views, different philosophies, different side of the tracks, different side of the globe, uh, different gender, different race, different thoughts, different feelings. Not to argue, not to say you're wrong and I'm right, Not none of that, just to hear them out. And you'll, I'm not saying you have to convert. I'm not saying that you have to say, hmm, you're right and I'm wrong. No, just, 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 have a, just have a conversation. You know, try to broaden your horizon. Get outside of your comfort zone for five fucking minutes. Could you do that for me? Please, I did. Hell, I did that for almost a year. Went outside my comfort zone. Did it every year. Or did it every day, basically. From uh, 7 to uh, one thirty. Went to a different environment. Learned from uh, folks much different than me. So, uh, if I can do it, you motherfuckers can do it. <laughs> Wendell's World of Sports. Oh, to Phil Henry, as I end the program with my music. Um... Good stuff, man. Really good stuff. Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World of Sports. Get me out of here with some music. Mm -hmm.